This is the Knowledge Leaders Podcast with Todd Hand. Hi, really excited to have Chris and Adam from Titan Partners on this podcast. Titan is one of the prominent names in the education space and really interested to find out about the firm, how the firm is structured, and what you guys focus on. So Chris, let's start with you. Sure. We uh, operate in the broad category of technology, media, telecommunications, but are specialized in the education and knowledge services markets globally, which we define as content technology and services businesses within three very broad categories, pre-K through 12, post-secondary higher education, and the workforce training markets, which we've coined a coverage phrase for human capital optimization markets. And the, we're unique in a couple of ways. We're a, an investment bank and a management consultancy uh, and really have created a service bureau to be an advisor uh, and strategist and consigliere to companies in those markets in all different asset classes. And the bulk of our work is in the lower to mid market. So working with companies from 10 to 500 million of enterprise value, uh, we work with very large established public companies uh, and multinationals on restructurings and tailed divestitures. And we're involved in uh, fund advisement in the venture asset class and gives us an opportunity to look at hundreds of companies in that segment per year and are very, very active as management consultants in the commercial diligence realm, as well as uh, providers of best-in-class strategic advisement for growth businesses across those coverage areas. Adam, how does a high school, a former high school English teacher become a management consultant? Yeah, that's a great question, Todd. I mean, at, at the end of the day, the the answer is we're effectively educators here at our business. Uh, we're working with company leaders, investors, entrepreneurs, foundations, nonprofits to to help them chart a path forward for their organizations. Our sort of discipline or domain, as Chris alluded to, is education, the education sector, the technology and media landscape, and really what we're doing is helping them understand the market dynamics uh, that exist in the places that they are choosing to play and helping them understand what that means for their organizational objectives, whether they are pursuing a financial advisory or transactional activity or whether they're at a growth inflection point and trying to build their business. And so while the vernacular of of what we uh, talk about and the terms we use is, is patently different than what it was like to be a high school English teacher. The idea of helping people synthesize information and understand it and building a narrative around what it means for their organizations is actually consistent with what what good educators do. What about some examples of how you advise or educate your clients? One of the ways is um, also looking at, you know, as, as founders and co-chairman of our of our platform, you know, we're doing, uh, with my, my time, mostly focused on investment banking and a lesser extent management consulting and vice versa for Adam. We're also, you know, operating a, a large and growing enterprise and a lot of our managing directors, you know, come out of um, significant educational operating roles as CEOs of, you know, com- companies or divisions, you know, ranging from, you know, 50 million to a billion plus. And the nature of that knowledge from operating business, thinking about risk, 
like a private equity investor would, thinking about opportunity like an entrepreneur would, and thinking about uh, service uh, solution provisioning the way good good bankers and management consultants do, you know, comes out through our people and our processes. And also, the if you look at the the junior staff and folks coming up through the ranks from analysts and associates to VPs, they all have had, you know, for the most part, a hybrid combination of operating experience or, you know, specific bespoke banking or management consulting capabilities. So we're really a platform and a large and growing team working in, in service of the markets that we participate in and have a team-based approach to whether it's a, a sell-side investment banking engagement or a strategic management consultancy. It's it's a team-based approach and a Titan approach uh, in addition to Adam and my inputs uh, across our rostered work. Yeah, Todd, and, and, and to build on that and some of the question, you know, the question you asked about what are we educating folks on? I mean, it's everything as discrete as, you know, what are, what are multiples in the transactional market today and how do those impact my business and, and my thinking about exit scenarios to, you know, organizations that maybe have been operating in a segment of the market like K-12 or early childhood for decades, but need to reimagine and re-understand and, and sort of understand in a new way what's happening in, in their core markets so they can remain competitive. And, and so, you know, along the way, the, the work that we are doing as advisors and building upon the attributes Chris talked about, the, you know, the, the financial transactional acumen, the consulting acumen, and importantly, our experience as operating executives in the space is really about, you know, helping to bring our experience and perspective to what those conditions and insights mean for companies and organizations. What, what, it, what it results in, right, on both our banking and our consulting business is really actionable and pragmatic insights. And they're really grounded in what's happening and really help organizational and institutional leaders make the types of changes in direction in terms of strategy, in terms of investments that are required for success. And so I think that's, you know, at, at the end of the day, our, our clients leave working with us a heck of a lot smarter about what their option sets are and how to execute against them. So what are some typical questions that a seller would have as a he or she is going through that process? I think um, the biggest decision that, you know, private companies and entrepreneurs uh, make in their lives, one of them is clearly the sale of the business, which might have been multi-generational or something that they built from the ground up with their own hands as, as we are, have with our own platform. And, you know, is, is a strategic buyer versus a private equity sponsor the right place and culture um, to pass the baton and to let both a great growth business flourish and enter its next chapter of development, but also continue to provide the, the product and impact it has in the education landscape. That's you know, obviously, you're getting less or so in you know, general technology and media arenas, but clearly in the education and knowledge sectors, there is a there's an impact component to entrepreneurs and operators' views of the world and their place in it. And they want to know what they're doing in terms of a capital markets event is going to be great, not only for the company and for its operators and management and uh, team base, but for the market, and usually it comes down to a couple of key things. Are they going to continue to drive improvements in learning outcomes, or is it going to continue to bring operational benefits to learning institutions? Those are, I think, two of the biggest 
kind of mission and legacy questions for for operators. The other the other two are all obviously always about money and remuneration, appropriate value and premium uh, paid and received for you know great platforms and great growth businesses that they've they've been able to uh, perfect and build. And you know other other things. Um, increasingly, we're, we're spending a lot of time over the last couple of years in international markets, emerging markets, particularly Asia, and you know what's what's happening outside of their insulated you know domestic world in the U.S. is is always been uh, you know a top a top question um, and also an increasing one uh, for operators in the states. And Adam, what are some of the typical questions that your clients ask on your side of the firm? Ours are, you know, really questions about understanding, you know, how big is how big is our market, you know, and what are the adjacent markets we should be thinking about? How are we positioned vis-a-vis competitors, whether they're direct or indirect? It's amazing how many folks in the space actually don't understand in a really rigorous way uh, their customers' needs and experiences. And so a lot of our work is helping them unpack and discern in a fairly rigorous uh, database way, what their customers are experiencing and where there may be gaps and opportunities. And, you know, bringing all that together in a way that ultimately helps them then, you know, allocate the limited resources that any organization has against a, a best and clear path. I think one of the things we see from a strategy development perspective is that oftentimes folks have many great ideas, but they often often lack the discipline to focus on the, the one or two that are really going to be drivers of, of uh, significant growth uh, or transformation as, as needs be in their business. And so a, a lot of their questions often are around how do we compare sort of opportunities that on their face don't always seem equivalent in a disciplined way so we can feel confident that we're making the best decision for our organization moving forward. What do you guys see out there in, in the industry as a whole? You know, we can go back a couple of years and people were predicting that the education industry is a bubble that's about to burst, but that hasn't happened. Do you see healthy growth or when and if there is a, a downturn, how do you think that will impact the industry? I think there's a dramatic amount of uh, venture capital, institutional capital in the early stage, the growth stage segments that is aggregated into these markets domestically, internationally over the last decade, and you have enormous optionality in terms of product IP functionality and utility capabilities um, in what's out there, and you have a sea of like-kind solutions all over the map in every market segment and dimension. That, I think, leaves a lot of optionality for building blocks and pieces and parts to build you know, the next generation of the oligopoly publishers or the, the ed tech oligopoly players, the largest scale players out there, and creates a emerging lower middle market to mid-market competitive base as these things get aggregated and put together. And there's a lot of different assets to prosecute through in that in that scenario. There's also just the dramatic expansion that's occurred over the last decade in terms of you know where education occurs and resides and how you have access to it, whether it's online, hybrid, or other emerging you know, pathways to access point products and services that, you know, have a learning outcome associated with it. So the market hasn't just grown by leaps and bounds in terms of the capital within it and the total addressable market by revenue. It's grown by segmentation exponentially. And we also, I think the other big 
dimension of that is we've been planning for a dramatic growth in international cross-border transactions for 10 years. And to the extent it occurred up until maybe two years ago, it was maybe geo-cloning a product for a customized and localized use case in another locality. Maybe it was capital that was in a syndicate investing in something that never left North America as a use case. That's really changed dramatically in the last couple of years, particularly if you look at the number of uh, RMB funds flowing into U.S. dollar assets and acquisitions that are acquisition interests coming out of China, new, new USD fund formations that are occurring there inside and alongside some of the larger strategics. Same is happening in other emerging markets. There's, there's a lot of the global phenomena of education where the hedge of an asset that's growing and stable in one market that might have application in another geography is beginning to really happen at a compounded pace. And so we believe, you know, macroeconomic trends, good, bad, or the ugly in the U.S., the education market is always going to be a stable and high volume transacting uh, market segment. One of the things I've seen, some of the work we've done over the last couple of years is, is a truism, I think, that exists, which is product and service innovation is relatively speaking easy in this market but distribution is really hard and there's a lack of distribution innovation. I think you see that reflected in the transactional landscape and in what's capturing and garnering a lot of attention. If I think about some of the assignments we've worked on as a firm over the last couple of years, you know, I think about the the education advisory board, which traded and and which we were involved in some diligence on. And and that was an organization that had, you know, 1400 institutional clients and had some nice products, but certainly has a lot of room to grow and they will grow with their, with their current owners. But, but what was interesting about that deal was the extent to which investors were willing to pay for that installed base of clients because of the difficulty of building out a universe like that. I think, you know, we were involved in a transaction earlier this year that was in the, in the training space, a business that was focused on the food industry. You know, the dollars per client they had weren't tremendously huge on an annual basis, but they had a, a footprint of a thousand global customers exclusively in the food industry. And so tremendously dynamic and exciting customer base from which to, to build and expand and grow revenue. I know that, you know, as we've looked at the SaaS ecosystem as well and, and businesses along that dimension, you know, Chris has got some good examples there, but another place where there, there's really value in that, the depth and strength of the vertical customer acquisition and the defensibility it creates. And I think at a, at a micro level, right, relative to the macro dynamics Chris was talking about, at that micro level, those businesses that have solved for scaling sales and marketing and, and, and by extension sort of what we think of as distribution are the ones who will continue to win and persist and the ones that frankly you know, strategic and, you know, financial sponsors are chasing pretty actively. Chris, I don't know if you want to sort of highlight some of the SaaS-based, you know, opportunities we've been looking at and working on that sort of have similar dynamic to those. Yeah, uh, you know, I think the SaaS market in education and knowledge services is a relatively new phenomena in, in part because the, you know, significant, if not entirely um, recurring nature of the revenue composition of those types of businesses to be defined as such didn't exist in education in large part because the organizations being served by their design and nature needed services from implementation to, you know, longer term type of management. 
and you've seen that begin to to uh, evolve as well. There's there's more and more companies entering and, and building in the marketplace that truly are you know, 90 plus percent recurring revenue composition that have the customer acquisition cost and lifetime value you know ratios of traditional enterprise SaaS businesses and where you know forward-looking multiples of revenue that have applied only in much larger businesses and in much different industries with very very specific uh, such evaluation such evaluation components and requirements you know are happening in education and happening at scale and we're seeing it you know not just be occurring in the you know sub ten million dollar revenue range but in much bigger businesses growing very quickly so. That's a very exciting dimension to the education markets and being able to talk about, you know, investment yield for investors in that segment where you're talking about, you know, four to 10 times for revenue is the multiplier versus the historical four to 10 times trailing EBITDA as the multiplier for valuing businesses in the education landscape is an exciting development and lots of interesting, you know, evolution and particularly the software components of the marketplace. Well, these are certainly exciting times in, in all of the education sectors and Titan Partners, you guys have such a great brand and are so important to the whole ecosystem in education. And I want to thank you for joining me. Thanks so much for the opportunity, Todd. We hope you enjoyed this episode and that you'll join us again for the next Knowledge Leaders podcast.